Hey, who got angry in the last couple days? All right. Uh, what did you get angry about? Somebody just yell it out. What's that? Her child. All right. Some of us get angry at our children. All right. If, if you're a parent here and haven't been angry at your child in the last week, you're probably in denial. All right. What else? What else has made you angry in the last couple days? Work. Work. What was that? School. Teachers. All right. All right. Now, let's think about, we're going to talk about anger for a little bit and think about what, what it means to be angry. Um, how many of you have been around a person in the last week who's an angry person? I don't mean, well, I'm sorry. How many of you have been around somebody who has been angry at you in the last couple weeks? And what does that feel like? What's that? Yeah, I won't say that. <laughs> no, it's not fun. It's not fun when somebody's angry at you, and it's not always uh, enjoyable to be around something that's angry. And I'll do a little more of my PowerPoint cheesiness here, because what anger feels like, it's kind of this pulsating thing. And sometimes in us, the pulsating anger gets really hot and really red and really fast. All right? And if we're honest, there's times when being angry is a good thing. Sometimes when, our ang when we're angry, it's a really bad and destructive thing. So let me kind of define anger, and then we're going to unpack some stuff about how that fleshes out in our lives and our relationship with God. Anger is the energy that God has hardwired you with that motivates you to move to action to protect something that you think is worth protecting. All right, let me say that again. Anger is the emotion that God has hardwired all of us with that moves you to action to protect something you think worth protecting. All right? Again, it can be good, it can be bad. So if, if uh, somebody's breaking into my home in the middle of the night, it's appropriate for me to have some kind of spurt of anger because I want to protect what I think is worth protecting, my family. And I will have appropriate anger toward that person and appropriate action toward that person because I think what's worth protecting is my family. All right? If my son, uh, if I tell my son not to run in the street or run in the parking lot, and he does anyway, it's appropriate for me as a father to express appropriate anger toward him because I want to protect him and what he's doing is causing me to be angry because I'm trying to protect something that's good, all right? If you have anger in your relationship with your spouse or with your mom or your dad or your friends, sometimes that anger is because you want to protect something that was good. The connection is a good thing. You want that connection to be good. And if that person does something that's hurtful to you or is insensitive to you or harsh or you feel betrayed... Your response of anger is an appropriate thing. It's a, it's a hardwired, God-wired thing. Now, how you respond to that can be inappropriate, but it's an appropriate thing because you care about that connection. And so your anger is kind of how God's hardwired you to move to action to, okay, now what do I need to do? How can I reconnect this? How can I protect the connection? All right? So not all anger is bad. Matter of fact, anger is something God hardwired us with. Anger existed before the fall in the human heart. It's not a bad thing. Now, we have, to, we have to wonder whether what we're trying to protect is really worth protecting because sometimes I can be angry because what I'm trying to protect is my own selfish time. 
You know, if, I, if my kids aren't cooperating around the house and doing what they're supposed to be doing because I want to get to watch Seinfeld that night and they're not getting to bed on time and I get angry about that, to some degree, that anger is a little bit illegitimate. Um, but if it is Seinfeld, sometimes you've got to get, you know, anyway. anyway. No, but, uh, and there's times when we can get angry at things because what we think is worth protecting is really more about protecting our own selfish desires, all right? But there are times when it's really good and appropriate and hardwired into us by God to, be, to have express anger because we're trying to protect something that's good. And I'm going to focus on how sometimes that needs to be protecting a relationship, protecting your family, protecting, you know, things like that. Now, we understand that with human emotion, you know, that we, we have this energy that's God wired into us that motivates us to action to protect something we think is worth protecting. What we have a hard time with is when this uh, word angry is associated side to side with the word God. Angry God is a term most of us, if we're honest, have a little bit of a uh. The idea of an angry God. It kind of it's not the kind of thing we want God to be known for. We want to know, we want to talk about a loving God and a kind God and a merciful God and all those things. But when you read the Bible and read stories in the Bible or read accounts where God is angry or where Jesus is angry, it, there's times where it, it, it kind of rubs on us. It's kind of like, ugh, I don't like the idea of an angry God. And we're going to look at a passage today where God is angry. And again, it's not... It, it's not a fit of rage anger. It's an appropriate... If God hardwired us with anger and we're in his image, somehow that's part of who God is and somehow that's a really good part of who God is. But we don't experience that as good sometimes and we don't like that because it sounds like God is this angry being who's just waiting to slap you upside the head if you you know, steal a pencil from the person next to you in school or whatever, I don't know. So uh, what we've been doing, we've been talking about um, being stuck, and we've used the story of the children of Israel in Numbers, the book of Numbers, Old Testament book of Numbers, because it's a book full of numbers, frankly. Uh, it, it recounts some of the journey of, the, of God's people, the hundred, you know, hundreds of thousands of people from slavery in Egypt, you know, dot number one over there, to freedom in the promised land. That's where God was, it was a, it was a promise he was giving them was a promise he made Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob into their descendants. And now Moses, a.k.a. Charlton Heston, is going to lead them out of Egypt into the promised land. All right? I mean, we talked about a couple weeks ago, there's times in your life where there's a good stuck. There's times where the journey that should have taken weeks, the initial stage took about a year and a half, and there was no sins or anything at that point that God was penalizing them for, but God sometimes held them at bay and had them circle the airport, so to speak, because he was preparing them for something more significant. And there's times in your and my life where we feel stuck in our relationship with God or stuck in our lives or stuck in our relationships in general, and it may be a really good stuck because God's preparing something in you. So we talked about those good stuck times. Last week we talked about kind of the bad stuck times, those times where we're stuck because we've made choices that have put us in a really bad stuck kind of way. And that actually unpacked from the Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Here's, and if you remember this, I'll tell the story from last week briefly. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. 
And so step one was God tells Moses, hey, Moses, I want you to appoint 12 spies to go spy the land, go spy into the land, find out if it's good and plenteous and if the land's good, um, crops are good, but also find out what kind of people are there and do they have armies, are they strong and what else. So we've got to figure out what we're doing here. And I said last week, and somebody actually this week kind of made fun of my term, I said, so, God's, so Moses picked 12 studs uh, to go into the promised land, and they came back with a report, and they said, this land is plenteous, it's got a lot of, you know, look how big these grapes are. But then 10 of the spies out of the 12, the 10 guys over here said, you know what, but we can't take the land because they're too big, they're too strong, they're too powerful. We cannot do it. And again, these were guys, again, you know, kind of special ops kind of guys. They weren't like old men who were saying, we, there were guys who were studly kind of guys, so we can't do this. Even though God told Moses to say, hey, we are going to do this, I want you to check it out. These guys come back and say, hey, we checked it out, and Moses, we think God's wrong. We can't do this. Caleb and Joshua over here are saying, no, 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 we can do this. God's with us. We can do it. We can do this. But the 10 guys over here said, no, no, we can't. We can't do this. And so what happens, if you remember from last week, the people, and again, if you were in this situation, I think we would understand how we might do the same. The people believe the 10 studs over Caleb and Joshua. I mean, if 10 guys that you respect and they were appointed by Moses say, no, we can't do it, and they're leaders and they're, they're men, they're warriors, they say, no, we can't do it, and you're one of the crowd listening, you, let's be honest, if we're honest with our humanity, I could see how I thought, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do it. I know Moses thought God said that, but now we're not sure. And then the scripture says they spent the night kind of wailing and protesting and saying, oh, God sent us here for no reason. We're going to die here. And oh, life was better back in Egypt. And if you remember in Egypt, they were slaves, very oppressed. But they're com- and they go into this cycle of complaining and how I talked last week about how complaining leads to fear. Because I start complaining about what God's not doing, that I'm afraid God's not going to cover for me, he's not going to take care of me. And then they kind of get in this protest, they're protesting, they're wailing. I, I, you know, it was severe, so severe that it said Moses and Aaron fell down on their faces before the people. Caleb and Joshua tore their clothes, kind of in kind of a anguish about, no, 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 God says we can do it. We can do this. And they're saying, no, we can do it. I mean, they're so, we can do this. And then the passage of scripture says, in response to Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua saying, no, we can do it. What 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 do the people do? They wanted to stone them to death. There was that much emotional tension going on in this situation. It wasn't just a friendly kind of debate. It wasn't even a loud yelling match. They were willing, the people were willing to stone those, the, the people who said we can do it. It was that intense. No, we will not do it. There is too much fear involved. We can't do it. So back up a few steps, and you're God watching this whole thing unravel. And... You clearly have protected the people throughout the last couple of years. You delivered them out of Egypt. You're giving clear direction to the people. Moses asked them to kind of go explore the land. And then what God sees is his people kind of just unraveling. And God gets angry. He gets angry at him. 
And this is what he says. He says this to Moses. How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs have done among them? Now, let's remember a little bit what's happened so far in the last year and a half, two years or so, as they've, been leave, as they've left Egypt. There are a number of times where the people complain. Oh, Moses, there's no water. Oh, and then God provides water. Oh, Moses, this water's bitter. Then God does something to make the water. Oh, Moses, now we don't have meat to eat. Oh, and then when Moses was on the, on, on the Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments from God, they didn't know where he was. They were concerned. And they, they take their gold jewel and they make a golden calf. And they start worshiping this golden calf. Oh, that's the God that we want to worship. So they had a lot of times where they've done some really stupid things and kind of stuck their, stuck their you know, middle finger up in God's face and said, we, we don't want you. We want, we want to control our own lives. So God's saying, that, well, they never believe me. Even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them. And this, this next line, you know, feel the weight of this. This is what God's saying to Moses about his people. I will disown them and destroy them. God's saying he's going to destroy his people. He doesn't say, I'm unhappy with them. They're going to have to have a time out. I'm going to send them to detention or whatever. He says, I'm going to destroy them with the plague. And the words destroy in other versions of the Bible is also translated as slaughter or smite them. There's that good King James word. I'm going to smite them. Then I will make you, he says to Moses, into a nation greater and mightier than they are. Now, if you knew nothing about Christianity, if you knew nothing about the Bible, and maybe there's some here today who are in that, you're in that category, if that's what you, all you knew about the God that... Christians claim created the heaven and the earth and sent Jesus and the God who loves all of his people. You'd read this and be like, I don't want to sign up for that. I, I, I don't want that kind of God. I mean, he sounds kind of angry. I mean, destroy. I'm going to destroy him with a plague. I'm going to disown him and destroy him. They're disinherited and they're done for. But keep in mind, let's keep in mind the definition of anger. Anger is the energy that we have, and so it comes from the image of God, that motivates the action to protect something that we think is worth protecting. See, because God had a promise, and he had a promise of flourishing and abundance for his people that he wanted to protect, and the rebellious spirits of a majority of the people in the ten spies was threatening God's great plan. And it wasn't like God was just upset because his plan was being thwarted he was upset because his plan was really good and really abundant and really life-giving and they were and he will protect that he will protect what is good just like you will protect your home if somebody invades your home like you will protect your kids if somebody if they, they run out the street you will you will discipline them because you want to protect them and you will protect your marriage if there's some kind of conflict and you need to, your anger needs to motivate you to move to resolve it. So if we think it's worth protecting, it's appropriate to have anger. But now in this case, we, you, know, you and I might think, well, this seems kind of severe. I mean, couldn't God just, is there something else he could do? And I, put, yeah, I said, it's like, this is this feeling anger here. I mean, God's pulsing here. But again, we tend to think of, how many saw the movie years ago, Anger Management? Jack Nicholson, and was it Adam, Adam Sandler? Yeah, and these anger management groups. I think Bobby Knight actually appeared in one scene of the movie, and 
And, and we tend to think of that kind of anger. We think, oh, we think, of, we think of anger being kind of this rage and, you know, out of control. And some of you have been that way. Some of you have been, and I have too, some of us have been the recipients of that kind of anger. And we want nothing of that. And for some reason, we've kind of translated that, and we assume that's what God's like. He's just these fits of rage, and he's just out of control, and he's just having an anger problem. He's having a fit, and he might need a Bobby Knight group, you know, or something like that. Now, here's what goes on from there. Go to the next slide, because I'm just going to finish the story. What happens next is Moses, it says Moses objects. I mean, Moses tells God, I object. And he says to God, God, don't do this. Don't do it. Don't do it to your people. Pardon them. I mean, it's the kind of interesting dynamic about, even about prayer. Moses said, don't do it. Pardon your people. God, don't, God if, you, if you destroy them, all the nations are going to say God couldn't handle his own people. Your reputation's at stake, God. Don't do it. And then he reminds God, remember the psalm we read earlier? He says, God, you, you are compassionate and merciful. You're slow to anger. I'm reminding you who you are, God. That's what you said you are. And, it, and it's, kind of, it's kind of this interesting conversation that Moses starts having with God. He says, you're slow to anger, you're filled with unfailing love, you forgive every kind of sin and rebellion. Don't forget, God, that's who you are. And it's not like God had this kind of psychotic episode where he needed somebody to kind of bring him back to reality. But there's some kind of interesting human interaction. There's times where it's, remember Abraham kind of pleading with God for Sodom and Gomorrah? It shows the kind of power God's invested with us in his, our relationship with him, that he can be moved by our strong objections when we, when we want to protect his reputation as well. So Moses is saying, and then he says, you know, in keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon the sins of the people. And then God says, okay, I'll pardon them if you have requested. I will. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, you know, who knows how this, you know, Moses may have been off to the side. He may have been in his tent. He may have been yelling out loud to God and then had these impressions back, you know, God wasn't showing up in a human form arguing with him, but Moses kind of had the sense this is what was going on. So whether it was an impression Moses was getting or just kind of these strong sensations of what God may have been saying back to him, there was something going on that is not unlike you and I having conversations with God. So it wasn't like some kind of a you know, weird sound effect, special effects moments. It was an ordinary moment, been a very intense situation. But then, and then God says, I will pardon them. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter the land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I've performed in Egypt and the wilderness, but, but again and again they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. That's one of the things that has made God angry in this situation. They have tested me because they refuse to listen to my voice. And one of the things we say at Exodus is we're going we're gonna to find success for our own lives personally and corporately as our ability to learn how to hear and respond to God. And here we see kind of the flip side negative of that. Not listening to God, and he says over and over not listening to him, is one of the ways in which he was experiencing contempt from the people. Remember, contempt is that emotion where you kind of roll your eyes at somebody you know, if, when you were kids, you rolled your eyes at your parents when they said, you know, eat your vegetables. You're like, yeah, 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 whatever. Or when your parents say to you when you're learning how to drive, slow down, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I got it. I got it covered. But it's that kind of, uh, I'll listen to what you say, but I'm not going to hold it in high regard. And we do that to God. We all do. We all have. We don't do it directly that way, but there's things God has said to us. There's things God has said in here. That we're like, yeah, 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 I'll get to that. 
And one of the things is, God says, I'm, I'm, the people are showing me contempt because they refuse over and over again to listen to what I tell them to do. All right? Think about the things, and here's, the, here's, here's one question I'll start off with you. Is there anything God's been asking you to do, and are you having a repeated pattern of not listening to him? It's not like God gets upset if you just miss something. Oh, I must miss that instruction. But what he's saying over and over again, there's a pattern now of refusing to listen to my voice. You know, and, and, and maybe you're one, you know, we did a kind of funny thing about the commandments, but uh, we can't take those lightly. I mean, sexual immorality is not something we can take lightly. Being dishonest, lacking integrity, um, dishonoring parents, dishonoring those who are supposed to honor, those kind of things are big deals to God. And if you just kind of will pick and choose, and well, God doesn't know my situation, that's why I need to be doing this with this person or whatever. And God says, you know, if you refuse over and over to listen to my voice, um, and that's, what gets, that's what's getting God appropriately angry because he's protecting something he thinks worth protecting, which is his dream and the promise of abundant life for people who would follow him, all right? Then he says, they'll never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Now turn around. He says, turn around now. Go back toward the land, basically go back where you came from. Tomorrow you'll set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. So really, really bad stuff. Go back and wander around for 40 years. All right, really bad stuff. And then God goes on. I mean, God has a little bit of a, a monologue going on here. And he says to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and their complaints about me? All right. Now tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. And this next phrase kind of kills me a little bit. God says, you will all drop dead in the wilderness. I mean, drop dead, God says. Now he doesn't say it with kind of this, you know, Chuck Norris kind of tone or whatever. But God says to his people, you know what? I'm going to pardon, this is what's weird, I'm going to pardon you, but you're all going to die in the wilderness. I'm not going to kill you now but you're going to die in the wilderness. You will drop dead in the wilderness because you have complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua. You said your children would be carried off as plunder. Well, I'll bring them, I'll bring them safely in the land and they will enjoy what you have despised. But, for as, you, for, but as for you, you will drop dead. I mean, God's kind of... I mean, the, the literal understanding of that word is your corpses will just be destroyed. Your flesh will rot in the wilderness. And your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And in this way, they, your children, will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you dies in the wilderness. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. It's another one of these next lines that's kind of a hard one to take. Then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. God says, you want to know what it's like to have me for an enemy? Um, this is what it's going to be. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will certainly do these things to every member of the community who has conspired against me. They'll be destroyed here in the wilderness, and here they will die. It's like, wow. Did he have too much caffeine this morning, God? I mean, what's going on here? I mean, it, it, you want to say, lighten up. 
But then again, you realize that over and over how this, it, they refuse to listen to his voice over and over. And then another thing he adds here, they're, he said they complain over and over. Remember a couple of months ago, the whole idea of murmur, and they're murmuring, murmur, 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 this spirit of complaining. And again, the question I'll ask you and I'll ask me, are you in a habit of complaining against God right now in your life? And you might say, oh no, I never complain directly to God. Well, that's, that's not what I said. Because if you complain about the situation God has put you in, the people he's put you around, the family he's put you in, the church he's put you in, the job he's put you in, your complaining is really complaining about God because you know better and God's not pulling through for you. So it seems like two things that really, really motivate God to protect what is good is when he sees us, his people, refusing over and over again to listen to him or continually complaining and murmuring and complaining and murmuring. And he understands that. He says, that's, that's when you do that, you, show despite, dis, you despise me and you show contempt for me. And again, God's not lashing out of personal hurt. He's wanting to protect what's really, really good. And this is one of those times where it's like, how do we deal with... Because what we like, we, what we think we like is... Can't God just be like Santa Claus? I mean, there is no naughty list, really, is there? I mean, nobody gets coal for Christmas. I mean, yeah, God needs to, kind of a little, he needs to throw a little bit of a fit here to make a point. But they're also going to go in, right? They're still going to get to the promised land, right? I mean, all, I mean, he's not really serious. He's just threatening like my dad used to do. And God, God's like, no, no, this is, this, this is an appropriate expression of who God is. And we love the next passage to say, and then God changed his mind and they all went in and had a big party the next day. Well, what happens next is the 10 spies, they drop dead that moment. Because God said they're the ones who started this whole complaint, murmuring, not listening to God. And then what's interesting too, the story goes on, is the people, it's almost humorous if it wasn't so sad. The people then, the next day, they say, oh, no, no, now, now we're going to listen to God. Now we'll go in and take the promised land. And Moses says, no, don't go because God's not with you. But they get their army together and they go and fight battle the next day and they get their rear ends kicked. And it's kind of like, you know, you finally realize your mom or dad is serious. And they say, oh, no, 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 I'll do it now, I'll do it now. I mean, I'm, I'm a parent and that's one of the things that drives me crazy. You know, I'll tell them, like, hey, stop hitting your brother. Stop hitting your brother. Stop hitting your brother. And they keep doing it. I finally say, okay, um, no we for the week. That's a serious penalty for most kids, okay? No we for the week, all right? Oh, no, 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 no. I'll stop now. I'll stop now. Because it's like, we're really good at that. Once the penalty has kind of been established, oh, no, no, I won't do it anymore. As if that can pull back the penalty. And that's what they're trying to do here. And, and, but God doesn't change on that. And we have this situation where the people then literally are turned back into a bad stock. And for 40 years, it said anybody who is 20 years or older until they all die, they're going to wander. And this, this is the kind of weird part of me. I'm thinking, okay, does somebody keep a list of those people? And then when they were down like the 10 people left, for the rest I'm thinking, oh, hurry up and die. Oh, five, four. Oh, who's left? Oh, there's only one more left. Okay, um, how long is he going to... Because we want to... I mean, I, I would have done that. I would have had the list. Okay, let's 
Okay, we're down to seven. Oh, he's pretty healthy, though. I just saw him walking five miles yesterday. Okay, well, let's figure out what else to do for the next couple of years in the desert, because he's going to make it, all right? But God, he had this line that he drew, and he was serious about it. And again, he was serious not because he was this angry, rageful God. He was serious because he wanted to protect something that was very, very, very good, and to let the complainers and the persistent refusing to listen to his voice people into that world would only poison that world. So he said, you will not come into this world because you will, you will only bring poison into that world, and I, I want abundance and joy. And it sounds kind of severe. I mean, it's like I, I've, I've explained this to people this way. It may not satisfy everybody, and the analogy breaks down in some ways, but it's like if I had, uh, if I invite everybody here, I mean, I'll play God for a second here, but I'm, I'm not God, but you know what I'm saying. If I said everybody here is welcome to a, uh, a party here in the club right after uh, church today, we're going to have a huge party, all kinds of food, and da, da, da. Well, let's say, um, and I really want this to be a really good time. It's going to be a celebration, a lot of food, a lot of abundance, a lot of, well, let's say that, uh, I don't know, Dan. Let's say Dan, just for some reason, doesn't want to come, but he want, he'll stand outside the window and he starts throwing rocks in at people. I was like, Dan, quit throwing rocks at people. Why don't you get in here? You're well, it's a party. Come on in, Dan. You're, you're part of us. You're one of us. Come on in. Well, then he comes back and he's got other people with him and they're all throwing. There's like 10 or 20 people throwing rocks. And I was like, hey, and you know, kids are getting hurt. Some of you are getting hurt by rocks in the head. And, and we're like, come on, get, quit throwing rocks. Get in. It's a big party in here. Well, then Dan comes back with those 10 or 20 people, and now they come back with, like, shotguns. Because for some reason, they despise this thing. Well, if I have a gun, and some of you with me have a gun, would it be appropriate for us to shoot back at them to protect what's good in here? Sure. I mean, you wouldn't say, oh, don't be so angry. Well, you know, I am going to be appropriately angry because I want to protect the lives of those who are part of this really good thing that's going to blossom into a really great thing. And so sometimes when we wrestle with the wrath of God, it's like, if I, if I don't take care of those people shooting in the window, and Dan's leading the group, I mean, I'm just picking on Dan, then what kind of leader am I? What kind of God am I? If I'm just like, oh, I, I, I love you guys, and I guess as you shoot and knock people over, I'll just sit here and kind of wait for it all to happen and clean up the blood afterwards. But I love you guys. No, if I love the people here, if I love what I think is good, I will take them out. And so would you. Because it's a function of my love that I will protect what I love. And so that's what God's doing here. He's protecting the good thing. He's not just being revengeful. He's protecting a really good thing. And so when God, you know, if you're, and these are the questions I was asking, you know, if, you, if you're in a situation where you're repeatedly refusing to listen to God, if you're in a situation where you are co- repeatedly complaining against God, and I've been in those places before, and I probably will be again, and that, you know, kind of find my way out of it. Is God angry at those moments? And what do you do with that? Because really his anger is a function of how, what he's trying to protect. He's trying to protect what he promised you to give, life, abundance, joy. You know, I, I shared last week um, the story about uh, cheating in seminary. And I had an assignment, and if you weren't here, I'll just rehearse it real quickly. 
uh, had an assignment in seminary, and the professor's name was Dr. McGarry, and there's someone else here who had that professor later, and they said they called him Scary McGarry. We called him Mad Dog McGarry, so you can get the kind of idea of the kind of personality he had. Cheated on an assignment. I cheated on a homework assignment that was a huge part of the significant part of the grade. I thought it was unreasonable. I complained, all right, in my spirit, and I kind of justified to God why I was doing it. So for a number of days, I, I kind of sensed God was trying to get my attention. Like that was, wasn't right. Now, here's the question. Was God angry at me during those two days? And you might say, well, no, but if you're a Christian, he wasn't angry at you anymore. I said, no, I think God was still angry because I, had, I was threatening the relationship with him. I was refusing to listen to his voice, and I was complaining about the fact that he gave me this professor that was unreasonable. So during those few days, was God angry at me? I think he was. But it was an appropriate anger because he had greater, greater dreams for me and my actions were standing in the way of his dreams for me. Now, um, what somebody asked me last week was, how did the story end? Because I didn't finish the story last week. I, I forgot to, actually. And uh, I went to the prayer room afterwards. Somebody came to the prayer room and I thought they wanted prayer. No, no, no. I just want to know how the story ends. I'm not going to be here next week. I was like, oh, okay. And so... Uh, because this is where we have to wrestle with. I mean, yeah, you, you and I are Christians. We, if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've made the decision to follow Christ and, you know, maybe you've been, maybe been baptized and you're, you're a Christian, yes, your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus and there's, a, there's an eternal kind of pardon. But it doesn't mean we still are, there still aren't times where we... And we don't jeopardize our eternal state before God, but there are times we still hurt the heart of God. So that morning, I remember I sat in class, and I think I told you that I sat in class before this, and I was doing all the calculations, trying to figure out if the professor failed me on the test, what would, he, what would I get in the class? And if I did that, I might have to come back for another semester of school because I wouldn't get a good enough grade to keep my GPA where it needed to be. And all those ways in which we rationalize, well, surely God doesn't want me to pay extra money, so I think I won't go talk to him. Yes, I will. No, I won't. Yes, I will. No, I won't. And, and, uh, and so I finally went, I, I, as soon as the class got over, I, I, I think I ran to Dr. McGarry's office, hoping he would be there, but desperately hoping he wouldn't be there. You know what I mean? I wanted to be there. I don't want him to be there, you know? Well, sure enough, I walk by his door, and he's sitting in there. And, you know, you, it's kind of one of those things where you walk by the door, and you see him in there, and then you walk by, and then you pace by again. Because what was I afraid of? What was I afraid of? I was afraid of his anger toward me. Not like anger, like, ah, get out of my office. But appropriate anger in saying, well, I'm going to give you zero on that assignment. Because I deserved that right? So I go sit down in his office, and I said, Dr. McGarry, I, uh, I need to talk about this last homework assignment, because um, I think I was cheat. Uh, I think I was cheating. I mean, I literally was like this. I, I think I was cheating on the assignment. I mean, it's hard to get that word out. It's hard to say something like that about yourself, because it doesn't make you feel good about yourself, all right? And, and I explained what we were doing. I said, I I'm pretty sure what we were doing was cheating, Dr. McGarry. And I explained, this is how, I didn't tell him who the other guys were. That's between them and God. This is what we did. This is how we went about the homework assignment. And we kind of traded answers. And he goes, yeah, that really was outside of the boundaries of what I was expecting. And um, that was cheating. And I'm sitting there with my head down. And I'm, and I'm thinking, and I said, okay, what do you, what do you want me to do? And kind of like I throw myself on the mercy of the court. I mean, you've all been in the situations where you know what you've done has been wrong. And you know the penalty that will be given to you is a penalty you deserve. All right? I'm not talking about times where somebody's angry at you for no reason. I'm talking about when the anger directed toward you is a healthy, good anger that's like a good judge would do, you know? 
And he said to me, and I, I will never forget this, he said, you know what, Matt, the fact that one... He said, so the fact that one man's ministry might be saved by a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit on a small thing like this, he said, that's enough for me. Whatever you got in the assignment is what you keep. I got a 49 out of 50, all right? And, and I'm kind of sitting there and I'm kind of thinking, uh, you know, I'm kind of waiting for, I'm waiting for the, you know, the stick to fall. And it didn't fall. Matter of fact, he's kind of like, he didn't say it, but his spirit was kind of like, lift up your head, look at me. Let's, let's you know, uh, don't worry about it. It's over. And, and I was just like, that's it? He's like, yeah. What you have is what you get. I left that office, and I had to go across campus for something. I was late for something else. My feet did not hit the ground. And I, what came to my mind, and some of you may not know this hymn. It's an old hymn, but it was this, there's a hymn that goes, um, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stain. And it was like, for me, it was like this choir was singing in my head as I was running across campus, not hitting the ground. And I thought for the first time, this is what the grace of Jesus means. I deserve the punishment. I deserve the 40 years in the wilderness. But then Jesus objects to God, the Father. Not that God's the angry one, Jesus is the kind one, but it's, he's, you know, he says, God, don't, because I've already paid for that. I've already paid for that. So then my response is, why wouldn't I follow this Jesus guy who's done that for me? And I, I wrote this professor years ago, and I told him, nobody has explained the grace of God in any class better than what you did to me in your office about me cheating on that test. That was the most profound teaching you've ever done, Dr. McGarry. You're a great teacher, but that was the most profound teaching I've ever experienced. And, and uh, here's some passages, and we'll close with some of these passages. These are all... Because I want, you know, in the midst of the heaviness, and yeah, we need to deal with sin. Sin is serious. Sin hurts the relationship with God. Sin will make God angry, and he should be angry, because if he's not angry, then he doesn't care about us. But in the midst of that, we have to then understand the context of the grace of God and God being revealed in Jesus. And we read passages like this. Uh, you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy. You are slow to get angry. And you're filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. The next one, we read this earlier in the service. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. Next one, Joel 2. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate. Slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. God is eager for you to come. Next one, Micah 7. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. I mean, over and over, the message of the Bible is God has mercy and compassion. He's filled with unfailing love and faithfulness toward his people. And then the New Testament kind of rounds the whole thing out and says this, the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness, kind of bringing the Old Testament all to a head here, came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son is himself God and is near the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So we read this God of the Old Testament. We think the God of the Old Testament must have had some kind of a mood change in the New Testament. No, God has been God all the way through, never changing. And what Jesus did, he showed us the real heart of God. The heart of God was for his people always. 
And his anger is only an expression of how much he's for us, how much he loves us, and how much he desperately wants to show to us his unfailing love and faithfulness. So the question I'll, the question I'll leave you today is, again, what I said earlier, if, if there's a pattern of refusing to listen to God in your life, if there's a pattern of complaining in your life, deal with that with God. Run to him because he is eager to relent and he delights in showing his unfailing love and faithfulness. And uh, so whether you are, have been a Christian for years and you feel like those things hang on you or whether you're not even yet sure if you're a follower of Jesus, that's, that's the invitation of come to Jesus. Because this is the Jesus, this is the heart of God right here. The one who, he takes the penalty on himself. The penalty that we know we deserve becomes on the penalty of Jesus. And that's how we, that's why we end with communion every week. It's not, a, it's not a religious ritual of good luck or it's not just something we do to earn points with God. It's an acknowledgement that when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, remember what I came to do, remember what I came to do. I came to show you the heart of the Father. I came to show you his unfailing love. I came to show you his faithfulness. I came to show you his mercy and compassion. And as it un- un- unrolled the next few days in his death and his resurrection, that was kind of the exclamation point of how he's going to show that to us. And so when we do this every Sunday, we're doing this because we're reminding ourselves Jesus is, has shown us God. And if I can say it this way, we'd be a fool not to follow him. Because if he's willing to take the punishment, the punishment of our sins are upon him. Now, I'm not, I'm not calling any of you fools who don't follow Jesus. But I'll say it again, I think you'd be a fool not to. And when you think about how we hold on to our little sins of complaining and not listening to God, and then we realize what we're, what we're missing, we're missing unfailing love, faithfulness, mercy, and compassion. So here's how we do it at Exodus. Uh, the band will come up and lead us in a few more songs. And we, uh, we'll have people at the aisles here, over there. They'll offer you the bread, tear it off, tear off a piece, offer you the cup, you dip it in the cup. And then most people eat it right there. Some people take it back to their seat. It's up to you. Anyone is welcome. Anybody's welcome to the table who would say, I want, I want more of Jesus in my life. Not more of Jesus, and I still want to hold on to other things, but I want to follow Jesus. This is, this is, this is the expression of God that I understand that I want to follow. Anybody's welcome. I don't care your background, your creed, or what religion you espouse to. Anyone is welcome who would say, I, I will fo- I'm a follower of Jesus. All right? Perfection isn't the standard. Uh, the desire and intention is. All right? Let me pray. And then the, uh, oh, at the same time while we're taking communion, there's people in the side room over there where it says prayer. I'm there to pray with you about anything. It can be related today. Maybe there is some issue and you just need to be, you need to, I just need to acknowledge that I have this issue. I need, God, I need prayer because I need to walk away from this sin in my life. All right? That may be, and if you're going back there, we're not going to assume that's what you're back there for, but that may be what you need to go back there for. All right? Let me pray, and then we'll take communion. God, we're grateful. Um, we're grateful that you have revealed yourself completely in Jesus. Um, he doesn't just show us your good side. He shows us who you are. And in the midst of uh, why we take this today, take this bread and this cup into our lives, into our bodies, uh, would it be our expression to you um, that we believe you can take us into a promised land. And we will let 
our fears and complaints uh, fall to the wayside and we'll trust you and follow you, Jesus, wherever you take us because we believe you want to take us to a spacious and abundant place. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.